Let's give our attention to God's word. You can follow along inside the worship folder, Galatians chapter 4. It's the Apostle Paul writing. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. Glad to see some people here today. I know that flu was, was really on some folk. Um, and I'm glad that you're here and healthy. And we continue to pray for those in our congregation who are struggling. Got a couple emails, you know, whole family got the flu. Remember we had the Christ Central Church plague last year? Um, but yeah, wash your hands, y'all. It's okay. Meet, meet and greet is good. But washing hands after meeting and greeting and shaking and hugging and kissing and all that kind of stuff is even better, right? So wash hands. And um, if you know folk who are sick, give them a call. It helps. Um, so we're going to start a new sermon series this week on the mission of Christ Central Church. And um, so we're going to take, I guess, 12 weeks um, to go through it. Because what I'm going to do is each part of our mission statement, which is on the front of your bulletin, is the first shorter one. I'm going to take that vision statement off so you're not confused. And um, I'm also going to be doing some retweaking. I'm working with the elders and women shepherds and staff to retweak and kind of tighten up our vision statement. So when I preach on it, it may be a little different. I might use some different terminology as we go along. And we, I, I don't know if we already have, Derek, we already have these bulletins printed out ahead of time. So it may take some time to switch it up a little bit on the front of the bulletins. Do you know? We can, we can start next week. Okay, it might, you might have a tweaked vision, I mean mission statement um, next time you see the bulletin. But I want to let you know where we're coming from. And I'm going to take, again, like three weeks on each part of the mission statement. I think it's important to renew and refresh and introduce this again to you. It's important, as I look out, and I've told people, this is Christ Central Church 4.0. Kelly the other day said, we have planted Christ Central four times, it feels like. And just considering um, how much growth our church has experienced in transition, we planted another church in West Charlotte. I got a chance to visit over there. God is really working. And I'm on that oversight committee Y'all, the church you guys planted is amazing. You have a daughter that is reaching a whole nother part of Charlotte, and it is, it blesses my soul. When I saw the list of people joining, and I'm like, and they show, the list shows the church they're from, there were like 40 from Christ Central. But now a new list is appearing, y'all, of people who didn't come from Christ Central, who didn't come from any church. 
So God is at work over there. And I want to encourage you, if you get an opportunity to visit the worship service over there, um, Pastor Charles and Pastor Drew, whom we sent out um, to plant that church in West Charlotte, are asking that you visit. Okay? You got to come back here. But, you know, I mean, no brothers, you know, they're young. You know, they're kind of cool. They can preach good. But please come back. Anyway, um, I do rec- if, if you find that that's a good church and you have friends and family who would benefit from being a part of that church, or God tells you, we, we don't play around here with that. If God tells you, you need to go over there, talk to us. Let's, let's see what God is calling you to do. Um, but all of, that to be say, all of that to say that the mission of Christ Central Church is at work, and I think we need to renew it. So 14 years ago when we started this church, we committed and committed to the vision. I mean, sorry, I, I get those two confused. I'm talking about the mission. So if I say vision, I really mean mission, okay? We committed and, uh, co- and committed to the mission of Christ Central Church of freeing people to enjoy God, hear his truth, form authentic relationships, and face the world with the renewed dignity that comes from Christ. So a mission, for you to understand what it is, is how we believe God has called us as a church to uniquely do what the Bible tells us to do in making disciples, how God's called us to serve in helping people become new people through Christ Jesus. The mission of our church is not only that we, especially we members of Christ Central Church, are called to do this mission. Now you have a mission statement for your life, right? But what you can expect to be happening to you, What kind of movement of God's spirit and work should be happening in you and what is alive in his church? Today we start here. Freeing people to enjoy God. And I plan, again, three sermons for enjoying God to break down each one. This week, freeing people to enjoy God as they are free to be sons and daughters of God. Sons and daughters of God. The Bible, most explicitly in the, in the most famous prayer in the Bible, teaches us that God, the one who made us in that Our Father prayer, in that Lord's prayer you hear prayed a lot everywhere, is, is not just God, but that he is our heavenly Father. Right? We just sang it. That's who he is. That is who he is. He's always been that, and he always will be that. In our lives, where and how we stand with and before him, the way we stand, rather, before him, determines who we are. He's the father. Who are you? He's always and forever will be the heavenly father, but who we might be is not so obvious or guaranteed because we as human beings are broken and mistaken and fallen in our understanding and experience with God. Others of us are in darkness about who we are before and with this heavenly father. At Christ Central Church, it is our mission, I believe our calling, that you and me and our world be freed to enjoy God by being freed to be sons and daughters of the heavenly father. And we believe and carry out this mission because we believe the Bible teaches that God himself is already on this mission, right? Uh, To free us, to free people like you and me, regardless of where we come from, to be sons and daughters, which means three things I want us to see here. That God is freeing us to be more than slaves. More than slaves. 
Secondly, that God is freeing us to be adopted as sons and daughters. And finally, God is freeing us to know him as our daddy. Now, Galatians, for me to plop down in the middle of Galatians and pull this passage out is like me getting a piece of cake and cutting out the middle, right? There's a lot going on here in Galatians, so I warn you. Look, guys, I theologically know what's going on for you seminary types, all right? But we're going to cut a piece right out the middle of the pie, all right? I'm going to do my best to try to navigate it. I'll talk around it to kind of tell you how we got here in chapter 4. And I just want y'all to trust me, all right? Now, that might be my own insecurity, so I had to get that out of the way so I can go ahead and preach. Look at verse 1 through 3 with me. It says, I mean that the heir, and so you know it doesn't start here. It starts back in chapter 3, and we'll get to that. Hate sentences that start like this. Whoever did these chapter, chapter divisions, it, it was messed up. This wasn't like an original text, okay? This came later. And it starts off, I mean. Oh, come on. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Now, there are two people in this passage that the Apostle Paul is talking about here. You get that from chapters ahead. The Jews, and I'm using this as, a, as an extended illustration for us to understand who the Jews were. And when the term comes under law, right? God's children by law, all right? I'm going to use an illustration this way. The Jews, those under law, you could say are the are educated in the things of God. Okay, follow me now. The Jews, those under law, or the, Jew, the people who became God-fearers and started following the law. And let me explain what I mean by the law. The law are the rules and stipulations in the Old Testament by which God gave his people to know who he was and to know how they should act and kind of see what it meant to be God's people. Okay, so those are the rules and regulations. Now, we have the moral law, and every one of us kind of understand, know, know what that is, uh, the Ten Commandments. That's the moral law of God. And then you had all kind of other laws that govern Israel as a nation, all other kind of ceremonial laws about worship, and they couldn't wear clothes with mixed, you know, fabrics in it, and, and they couldn't eat certain things. And so those rules and regulations, including the moral law of the Ten Commandments, are what we describe as the law. They were given books, if you will, the law. And they had teachers, and they had curriculum. Those were the people under the law. They were given, let's call it, a formal education from God on how to live, on who he was and what they needed to know about themselves and the world. It separated the Jews different from other people. They were God's people. But those under the law, Paul is teaching, regardless of how much they learned or how hard they studied, could never seem to graduate fully into sons and daughters through the law. They couldn't pass the final exam. They were educated for centuries in. And God, like a good father, kept holding them back until they got it. The scriptures teaching that the Jews before Jesus came were in a boarding school right sort of situation god would visit them on parents day and they could go home on holidays but they could never go home and experience the full benefits of their father but they longed for it 
While in that boarding school, which privileged kids get, Jews were the privileged children of God. It was through the law, the Bible, and its rules and regulations and disciplines before Jesus came into the world that they learned what? The most important lesson of the school, of the law. They couldn't please God or pass God's test under their own efforts because they were too broken, not holy enough, couldn't do perfectly all they needed to do to be in right relationship with God, though they had it right before their faith. And they studied it. And don't get me wrong, nothing was wrong with the school. Nothing was wrong with the law. Nothing's wrong with the books. But what was being revealed and taught about themselves was this. They were not good enough to make the information work for them on their own power and according to their own righteousness. Man, that's some kind of school. You go to school and realize you can't pass, right? You know, it's interesting that the apostle describes this kind of legal, kind of law living that the Jews went through as sort of a good thing. I don't know if I'm going to get to it in this sermon, but I'm going to go ahead and say it because I can't remember where I'm going with it. But I want you to have it. It was a good thing because it held them, you know, still with God in view, still seeing their brokenness, still seeing what it meant to be holy, And it held them in this school, kind of, as it says here, trapped them, if you will. They were slaves of it, and it was a semi-good place because it meant they wouldn't go anywhere else to find righteousness, even though they couldn't get the righteousness they sought on their own. The Scripture calls it, your, your passages, they were under guardianship, right? Until they came to a place where they could get it and then graduate, if you will. Boarding school is a safe place. But it's not the best place because you want to be with your family, right? You want to be with your father. You want to graduate. You want the time to be over. But it was safe. And on the other side, because in this church that Paul's speaking to, it's a new church. You have two kinds of people. You got the Jews. They educated. They got the degree in God, if you will. And then you have the Gentiles, the non-Jews. The public school kids, right? Or the kids who didn't go to school or who didn't have the books. Those who had a, you know, who didn't have a lifelong private school education of God and who he was and who they were. They were ignorant as to the details of how to live. But they had an idea of wrong and right and often had to make their own ideas of God. They were, as the passage says, very elementary and not advanced in their understanding of brokenness, of sin, of holiness, of righteousness, without things like the Ten Commandments and all the rules and regulations. They weren't very church, you know. They didn't come from the family that went to Sunday school every week. They did the best they could to be good people and do right, and and they made up their ideas of what good was and who God was and who he might be. We can guess how they turned out. But here's the kicker Paul is making here when he says there's no difference. They were no different than a slave. Whether religious and formally righteous acting and groomed for God to take over the family business of being the blessed people of God or irreligious, wild, and what I would describe as spiritually nappy, right? Both groups are described here as two things. Enslaved. Enslaved! 
enslaved, well-educated children, and enslaved on-the-run orphans. Meaning both groups were slaves, not free, which means this, every single person in the world on their own are never and not free to be sons and daughters of God, not free to enjoy, be with, live with God as their father in the freedom and peace and power that he intended. And that means everyone in this room, even those who have actually become sons and daughters, the believers in this room, along with those who have not come to God as their heavenly father, we all get tangled up again in all of the mess of religious and irreligious slavery where we think we must or can be good enough to be okay. That, that we get caught believing once again that we can fix or, or find the fix for what is wrong in us and make it better on our own. We all easily slip into the truth or lie of a slave mentality. One writer puts it this way in the book I've been personally digesting with some close friends of mine. That book, Wholeheartedness, by Chuck DeGroat, he quotes a Dominican father, Father Tugwell, who writes this. Like runaway slaves, he's talking about us believers, right? We either flee our own reality or manufacture a false self, which is mostly admirable, mildly prepossessing, and superficially happy. We hide what we know or, or, or feel ourselves to be, which we assume to be unacceptable and unlovable. Be, we do it behind some kind of appearance, which we hope will, will be more pleasing. We hide behind pretty faces, which we put on for the benefit of the public. And in time, we may even, become, even come to forget that we are hiding and think our soon pretty face is what we really look like. And that's true. Whether you're real spiritual and holy and churchy, right, and all moral, and it's true whether you aren't churchy and aren't so moral and didn't have good parents and a two-family home and a garage and a dog and a, and a station wagon and a van, right? It's true that we all produce a sense of righteousness in the Scripture saying we all fail at it. We all come back to the same slavery. God wants us and wants to free us from being slaves of self-righteousness and slaves of no righteousness, which means the gospel, right? Like our mission statement, the call and power is the call and power of God to free us. We need to be freed. Even if you think you're a pretty good person. You are just going back and putting the mask of, of, of someone who's really a runaway slave who doesn't have a true home or identity. He's freeing us from being constantly failing performers and, and terrible pretenders before him. The Lord is seeking people who have who've been, I like to use this term, who have been tired out by him in playing church. Or tired out by playing good person and playing I'm okay when you are not. He wants you, and this is what the Apostle Paul is getting at because they're starting to think, oh, this whole Christian identity thing isn't enough. We have to go back to living under the law. You know, we, we forget this. And, and they're telling the Gentiles who don't have the law, the way to really be saved is be like our boarding school kids, right? Let's go back to that life because that other life seems kind of wild and crazy. And he's saying, you're all going back to slavery, even if you go the religious way. The Lord is tiring us out, hopefully. You know, we're, we're, 
I'm okay when, you, you know, playing, I'm okay when you're not. He wants you and me to stop be running the streets and trying to run or either try to beat this world, right? And, and being successful and being all these things in the world's eyes, getting and understanding life on your own, which is the result of you being hardened and hurt by not having a heavenly father in your life. You ever wonder, if you're one of these people, you know, you're going to take, take on the world, you know, I can do it. I, I got my agenda together. I got my destiny straight. You know, I'm doing this and that. I can see it clearly. Do you understand? You sound like a hardened individual who never really had a father, a heavenly father, and so now you're trying to make your own way in the world. It's not admirable. It's sad. Calling a, God is calling us to be freed from the slavery of being school children only or orphans to be sons and daughters. He has to free us, which means God freed us and is, call, is freeing us to be adopted sons and daughters. Look at verse 1, and then I'm going to jump down to verse 4 through 7. Um, so let's look at it together. I mean that an heir, as long as he's a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, right? And, and that sentence is kind of... Com- Comparing and contrasting being a child who can be an heir but has yet to receive it because something's missing. And if you don't, have, if you don't actually own the thing or have the thing, you still are living like a slave. Okay, we're going to get to how you actually get the thing so you can stop being a slave. Okay, so verse 4 says this. But when the fullness of time had come, here we go, God sent forth his son, that's Jesus, y'all, Born of woman, y'all remember that Christmas, right? Born under the law, he had to come to the same boarding school, right? To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Oh, wait, wait, I'm not done. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now, listen to verse 7. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. You see the contrast between verse 1? Even though you were the owner of everything and you were a child, you, you were still a slave because you hadn't gotten, you hadn't gotten the inheritance. You hadn't put, be, been put in a position, right? But a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Okay. Now, you don't have this in your reading, but before this passage in chapter 4, most of chapter 3 is dedicated to explaining why God sent his own kids to boarding school. <laughs> oh, yeah, I did explain it, right? It's his chosen people, the Jews. In other words, why did God tie them up and hold them down with the law, with all of its rules and regulations, an impossibility to get it right? Like a treadmill of righteousness that built them up and made them fit for God, but didn't actually free them legally or spiritually to be sons and daughters of God, to be righteous, right? The exercise itself does not make you righteous, right? You know, you, you can go to the gym, you can work out, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to see the field or the court, right? In order, to be, in order for God to take them on as sons and daughters, and this was a lesson for the Gentiles here, right? They're the kind of wild ones. So if this is true for the ones with the law, right, that were sort of like calling themselves the children of God, got to be true for them too, right? So we can kind of assume he's talking to both groups. In order for God to take them on as sons and daughters, no matter how hard they work to perform, they would still have to be adopted and paid for. Do you hear that? 
sure they could be children and in the boarding school, but the scripture's teaching there had to come a point that a God-level legal transaction had to take place. Paperwork had to be signed, if you will, for his children to become sons and daughters of the inheritance and then come fully and legally into the house and household of God. Well, the Bible teaches us that God actually boarded his people under strict rules, the law in the Old Testament, so that they could know what it meant to be children of God, like the lofty requirement to actually be in God's family, how perfect you had to be. And then at some point, he let them hit the wall to see that as good as the law was, as much as it was good for them, and how much we could love God by being obedient to it, the law, the workout, the boarding school, not bad in and of itself, the discipline of the boarding school, because as Jews, it worked when they could come to a place and live knowing God had to buy them by grace into his kingdom. God had to do a legal transaction to bring them to himself and spiritually in his kingdom. And on the other side, for the orphans, for the Gentiles, the non-Jews, the unchurchy people, not so spiritual, just have a good, good uh, life people. He let them get arrested and broken and get a record a mile long and face all sorts of condemnation. God, the scripture teaches, use life itself, the law of nature as a tool in his powerful hands to make them give up and recognize and be saved only as he gave them power to become sons of daughters of God through adoption. The key to sonship, if you will. Moving from boarding school and on the other side being an orphan is being, as verse 4 says, going through the process of redemption. Do y'all hear that? This is not a matter of how good your track record is and what you can prove to God. He didn't, he, he, people aren't God's people because God says, oh, they're going to be good. I like that one. Man, that one really runs fast. Wow, that one really reads well. Wow, I love this one. This one ain't going to make no mistakes. No, they become sons and daughters through God's choice and God's redeeming of them, the scripture says. That means bought, right? That means you, you weren't, you know, you were baby kids or something. Like, like you were a flunky at the school. Whatever school you're in, whether you're in school or whether you're in the jail or, or reform school or whatever school you're in, God came along and he had to make a choice to redeem you because God don't want those kind of kids messing up his house, right? means you were bought by death. Bought by the resurrection of death and resurrection of Jesus. And this made both groups, hear me, legally able to take on Jesus' righteousness. Do you know what righteousness is? Justification is a legal standing. That's what the scripture is teaching. That the righteousness of God that makes people not believers and believers is a transaction only God could have made. You didn't have enough to make the transaction. And so your standing, your Christianity, the fact that you have his last name and now you have his perfect standing as your own comes through Jesus. That means through Jesus. All, any one of us, any kind of person can be fully 
legally and legally and completely God's and thus inheritance of God's good and holiness and benefits. All this happened through the transaction of faith in what Jesus Christ did to redeem and ransom us so we could be adopted by God to be sons and daughters. There was and is no other way. A little aside to help us get this. Heard a sermon by another pastor, pretty famous pastor, who explained sonship as a non-sexist thing. It's kind of hard when you read this. God's going to give you the uh, privileges of a son. Man, come on, what's up with the daughter? And I put daughters in there to kind of help, right? But back in the day, only sons could get an inheritance. So the Bible is saying something revolutionary. Because before this, in chapter 3, it talks about neither male, nor female, nor slave, nor free in Christ, right? It talks about this in this book. So it's saying that even males and females can be designated and get this adopted as sons designation. It's a designation. It's not a gender thing. That male and female and slave and free and broken and messed up and can't get their lives together can get sonship if they're adopted. And that is not about gender. It is a description of rights. It's the level of benefit for those who have been adopted by God. That means regardless, again, of family heritage or ethnicity or gender or something that we need to deal with this week, country of origin or grades or socioeconomic level, anyone can be and are at the same level sons. Sons, if they have been bought as adopted and are receiving and accepted and accepting their sonship, their new place and identity by faith in what Jesus did and paid for them to get them adopted and not by or forbidden by anything else. So we offer the gospel, right? Sonship, if you will, to anyone and anyone God adopts. They become our brothers and sisters in the Lord. With equal rights, righteousness, and dignity, and destiny of inheriting all that God has for them. You know, we talk about freeing people to enjoy God, and we'll talk about, you know, our desire to to see this happen in diverse community. Where do we get that audacity? The audacity is in the fact that sonship is not, any, is, based, is not based on any designation the world would try to hold you back or oppress you through. It's not a based on, again, based on any ethnic de- designation or, or anything, neither slave, nor no free, nor whatever. All are able to be sons. Sonship is the basis of our racial equality and our gender equality. You a son, I'm a son. Why? Because of the son, right? That is sons, and, and I'm going to go ahead and say daughters, just, just so we can, I can feel better about this, so we can get it. Because now, you know, now in our day and age, even I want you to understand what Paul was meaning, that, that the Bible is, is, is not some misogynistic document. In fact, what he's writing would have been revolutionary as far as gender was concerned. 
as far as class was concerned, he's telling the Jews, these folk who had the corner on who God was, right? He's telling all these people who've worked all their lives and have this heritage of godness, if you will. This person, those people, them raggedy folk over there from those kind of countries are your brothers and sisters in the Lord. What? Not them. Yes, even you came by grace, not by the law. That as sons and daughters, it means God has broken you down to the point that you realize you can only enjoy God and be all that you're supposed to be if the good, benevolent, loving, heavenly Father decides to come and get you and adopt you into a place where you can have all you need and be given over time all you need to be all the human and all the man and all the woman and all the teenager you are supposed to be and supposed to be able in order to enjoy him. To no longer be slaves. Sons. Adopted. And you didn't get here from slaving or performing. And you will not stay because of slaving or performing. You will stay God's and God will stay yours because a legal transaction in the blood of Jesus has been made for you. That's good news. So God is freeing us to finally be sons by giving us the inheritance and the inheritance itself, the fact that God has saved us by grace. We'll enjoy, and, and that means if you're here, that means you're giving freedom to enjoy God and all his benefits. And we'll get into what that enjoyment and benefits looks like in the next couple of sermons. But there's one important benefit and power God has in freeing you and me to be sons and daughters. Even little children, sons and daughters, amen, right? That's their language, that's okay. Yeah, put, take them to a place where they can express their language. That's, I'm, just I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. God is freeing you and me to, to being sons and daughters. There's more. He's freeing us to know him as our daddy. Okay? Let me say this ahead of time, kind of prompt you. There's a number of you in here who have fathers. Everyone in here has a father. But some of you, your testimony, your story is, you never knew what it was to have a daddy. Or for your father to be a daddy. Look at verse 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. I don't know if you recognize the progression here, but, but and maybe it's hard because you didn't read chapter 3 like I did or have it in your mind. But it goes from being trapped and enslaved. Here's the distinction now, which seems a little off and ironic, but I'm, I'm going let to let you hear it. From being trapped and enslaved children to the boarding school or orphan children to then being adopted sons. So, so the progression is you're no longer children in, under the law and you're no longer orphan children. Now you've become sons. And then according to what we just read, to being sons, hear me now, who act like children. Children who can inherit because they're children 
to sons who now have legal standing to inherit, now back to children. We see this in the term Abba Father, right? Abba translated is like our term daddy, Baba, Papa, Dada, right? It, it, it is simply a, 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 a verbiage, right, uh, that, that a child can get. It, it is almost, if you look at it, baby gibberish. This is Google, Gaga, let me sit on your lap, Papa, right? Kind of talk. Here's the final lesson here about being free to enjoy God. When you come to Christ and you become sons and daughters because of his work on the cross, when you and I are born again through the legal transactions, we become sons legally. We are written into the will of God. We have legal standing as righteous as far as the inheritance and promise of God's righteousness is concerned. But our souls, our hearts, our demeanor, our behavior, our spirit, the spirit of those who now have the spirit of Jesus in them is not of someone who now behaves all I've got it together and I've got the inheritance and, and, and you know, arrogant and now being a son or daughter is about going out into the world as a grown-up now and trying to make it work or prove something to God and prove something to the church or to themselves to Jesus to prove that now you're truly a son or daughter by your performance. No, get this. The true sign and outworking and inworking that you are no longer a slave, but a son and daughter and growing in your freedom as sons and daughters is an experience of childhood, trust and dependence and pure delight in God. That God begins and grows as you grow to be more than an official and transactional relationship with the Heavenly Father, but that it is highly relational and loving. That he is no longer just your adopted father who, who killed Jesus to pay for you and to take your sins away and your lost separation away to free you and me from boarding school or the streets, but that we now live with our heavenly father and he lives within us. That we have a relationship as children who need and long for and look to him and talk to him and have an audible, sensible life. That means lived and shared and said and cried out loud daddy abba kind of experience and interaction with god in this world that we have this new unshakable never going back to be a slave identity in jesus but now hear this now we live in a real life expressive emotional visceral felt and shared with others and lived out with their love for and from god Believing and having the power to believe and know that God isn't some daddy warbucks that bought me only. But he bought me because he loves me. <laughs> he didn't buy me because he had kind of like, like a, a, a SPCA obligation to get animals off the street. He didn't buy me because of some, some guilt. He need, there's so many hungry children, well, he needs to adopt one. No. He adopted me because he loved me. He adopts me because he wants to love me and wants to be with me and have me. 
that we praise him with words and actions and obedience and loving him by following what he says out of knowing and then loving who our daddy is. We don't follow the law. We don't do the Ten Commandments because we have this transactional responsibility. No, we do it because we know we are loved and we love him back. That changes the relationship that we keep coming back to him out of, it, out of need of his loving touch and healing as we are broken and falling down and getting hurt like children do in this world because we have more than a father. We have someone who brought us into the relationship or world or into the faith, but we have a daddy who loves us. I used to go and stand out for the school bus when I was younger. It was a day that I forgot my lunch money. And I saw my dad, 1978 Grand Prix, sky blue. Thing had an eight track player at it and a CB radio. Big tall antenna on the back. Forgot my lunch money, I saw him going, driving to work and I held him down, daddy, daddy. Can I get some lunch money? He gave it to me. And I said, thank you, Daddy. And that's when the teasing at the bus stop started. Daddy, Daddy, right? And they're like, what's wrong with you, man? You three? Daddy. What's, what's up with that? I can understand pops or, you know, old man. But Daddy, what's wrong with you? Sound like a little girl or something like that. Well, eventually I got tired of that same bully for some other things he was doing. And I went to my father telling him, Daddy. This is what's going on. And I told the bully, I told my daddy, and the teasing started, daddy, daddy, until my daddy showed up at his house. <laughs> you see, y'all, I became a child. I was free to become a child. I felt like a child, though I was a young man. And even to this day, I still call my father daddy. Not because I'm three. Long ways from three, y'all, I'm a grown man. Don't get it confused. I don't, didn't call out daddy because he gave me life biologically only or because he gave me a place to live and put food on the table and clothes on my back, even though he reminded me of that a lot. You know, he had the old school, you know, I brought you in the world, I'll take you out kind of thing. Just because he's my father. Cried out for my daddy because I believe more than anything, he loved me. And the love I felt and acted on and calling out to him and respecting him was not my doing. But it's because I had more than a father. He acted like a daddy. My daddy simply loved me. I remember, I, I couldn't find a picture. I put it up when I was a little boy. I guess I was like two. And we used to share undershirts together. That means he put my head through the hole the same time his head is through the hole and two heads sticking up. <laughs> Do you know the Heavenly Father is your daddy? Now, you can't forget that your daddy is the Heavenly Father, right? So there's a degree of respect. Jesus comes and makes us cry, Abba, or Daddy. You know what that is saying? That God put his love and expresses his love for us in his hearts. And when that happens, we know him as more than the person who sent us to school or the father who adopted some bad and desperate kids. 
God comes emotionally and spiritually into our hearts of those whom he frees to be sons and lets them know he did it because he loves you. Man, this is more than a transaction. We'll be legalist again. We'll be under the law again if we don't realize that we cry out with the emotion of being fully accepted and loved and wanted by God. Look, y'all, freedom to be sons of God through Jesus, through the gospel, means the best news you could ever hear. And at Christ Central, we are committed to telling that and sharing that and living that out loud, which means, right, right, so that when you cry out for help, you know your daddy will answer you. And because you know you have a daddy that loves you, you will cry out to him and come to him and cry out to him with the voice and confidence of a son and a child foreign to the world even calling him to help and save and bring mercy over there and power over there and justice over there. And you cry out for the world with a voice of a child who has a daddy who is also the heavenly father. And that we free people in this world because they hear us cry. And they look at us and they think, what are they crying for? Why are they going here? Why are they going after people who hurt? Why are they seeking justice and mercy? Not because we have power or we love the world so well, but because God's loved us so well that they see us cry. You know what they see? I want a daddy too. I got a father. I got a transactional world. I got a world that'll reject me if I don't do right. I got a world I'm hurt, I'm getting bullied. Tried to make it on my own. What do I hear from my believing friends? At the workplace, on the schoolyard. What do I hear? Out their voices and what they say and how they live. I hear there's a daddy somebody like me freeing people to enjoy God as sons and daughters let me pray Heavenly Father I pray that we would be able to speak with the language of children Lord I pray for those of us who've fallen back into all kinds of slavery sin slavery all kind of mess Redeem us, Lord. Continue to grow us. Not of, out of transactional stuff. Where we come in and prove to you we can do it now. We've made a personal resolution. But call us back, Lord, knowing that you're our daddy. You're a heavenly father. You're not going to reject us. We're in Christ. We're your sons and daughters. If you're sons and daughters, we're your children. I pray for those right now who are not your children. Just children running around who are not sons and daughters, who are without a father or a daddy. I pray that the message of the gospel would free them. And when they're free, they'll be free. <laughs> To know your love, oh, Lord, to hear your voice, love them, and speak to them in the deepest places. And as our song says, to break every chain. This we ask and pray in Jesus' name.